This is our fourth Sunday of Advent, and the theme is peace. And as we think about peace, I just want you to imagine, like, I want you to let some images come to mind. Um, maybe there's people that come to mind, but, but what is it for you that when you close your eyes, if you just want to feel peace, like, what is it that you bring to mind? What memories come to mind? What places come to mind? Like, what is it that makes you feel peaceful? Okay, so there's a, I have a picture up here. Um, that's my desktop background. Um, that's actually out at, uh, Gene and Terry's got a, a prayer cabin that I use sometimes. And I made this my desktop background because for me, I actually love being outside in the winter. I think that that's why, one of the reasons I love Thunder Bay and living in the north is this time of year, just driving outside uh, driving's okay. I, I would actually be walking in the woods. That would be my preference. But just the snow on the trees, I just think it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I was at this prayer cabin and was there for a couple days just preparing, getting ready for some things. And it was just such a place of peace. It's a really simple prayer cabin in the middle of the woods. It's basically got like a little wood fireplace uh, and a bed and a table. Um, really simple, but it's just like, for me, that's a place where I feel this like sense of peace and calm. Um, But what is it for you? Like, what comes to mind when you think of peace? What is it that makes you feel peaceful? And I just want you to just be thinking about that uh, as we jump in, all right? Uh, and, And just also to be aware of the reality that you're often jarred from that place of peace, right? Like, there's times in our lives where we can probably think of where we just felt peace, and then you're jarred from it. A few weeks ago, uh, a lot of times I do sermon prep at a coffee shop. And, uh, I've, and I've told you this before. When I'm at a coffee shop, if I'm, like, preparing for a sermon, I put my Bluetooth headphones on, and I listen just to the sound of rain, okay? There's a little app you can get on your phone, and it just sounds like rain on a roof. And I can drown out all the sound. And it's a peaceful place for me because I love rain. I love being outside. And so I'm like... I was at this coffee shop, and I was just, like, in the zone, okay? I'm, <laughs> like, getting ready. I'm studying the scriptures, getting ready for a sermon. And the baristas came running over, and they're like, Nathan! Nathan! And they're, like, yelling at me, and I look up. And sometimes it takes a while to get my attention when I don't have headphones on, <laughs> okay? You can ask my wife. Sometimes it's like, if, even if I'm zoned out, I'm like, it takes a while to get my attention. Well, with headphones on, it's even worse. So they're, like, waving, and I pull my headphones out. And they're like, someone's trying to steal your bike! Um, and so... <laughs> True story. That's just like a few weeks ago. So I'm like, oh no. Right? And, I, and I ran to the front of the store. And it wasn't even my bike. It was actually Jeremy Darrow's bike that I had borrowed. <laughs> so it wasn't a big deal. Right? It wasn't going to cost me. I'm just joking. Um, so anyway, I run to the, like, to the front of the store. And the guy had taken off. He was gone. But I guess he walked by and the bike was locked up uh, on the bike rack in front of the coffee shop. And he's just like reefing on it, trying to get it to bust loose from the, uh, the lock. Well, it was jarring, right? Like it kind of took me away from a peaceful moment, right? I went from, like, just listening to the sound of rain, and I was studying the scriptures, and it was peace, to, like, someone's trying to rip my bike off of a bike rack, right? Like, you're jarred. And that was, like, a picture of reality for most of us, right? Like, if you, that whatever came to mind, when you think of peace, was there, was there situations after that that just jarred you from that? That were a wake-up call? That were, like, kind of removed you from that feeling of peace, maybe, that you had? Maybe not. Maybe you're just always in a total sense of peace. That's awesome, okay? Um, 
But I think a lot of us can relate with that. There's like, there's peace, but then there's also just kind of the real world in some ways. Or life. You know, life hits us and we, we face situations that are difficult, that are overwhelming, and it jars us. And it takes us from that uh, moment of peace. And so we're going to, uh, before I jump into this, there's a short video done by the Bible Project uh, that gives a really good definition of biblical peace. And so I'm going to show this, this video and just listen to how they describe what peace is. And I think it'll be uh, informative for you to realize like the difference of what the Bible means when it talks about peace and maybe what we think of uh, in terms of peace. So enjoy this little video. Reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. 
For peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So I have a definition for you here. Peace is wholeness, health, security, total well-being, salvation. So when you watch that video and they're describing what biblical peace is, it's like this. It's wholeness. It's every part of our lives coming into alignment, which, is like, which results in this sense of peace, this sense of security, this sense of wholeness. And I don't know if that's something you can relate to, but when you think about, they use the uh, illustration in the video of a brick wall coming together, right? And so there's, a brick wall has lots of little bricks in it. And a couple bricks missing is a lack of peace. And our lives are a lot like that, right? And so when we talk about peace, when we talk about Jesus restoring peace, it's Jesus making all things right, bringing restoration to our whole lives, our relationships, our finances, our, our workplace, you know, our sense of purpose, our sense of well-being, our wholeness. Like when Jesus brings peace, he is peace. It's a restoration of all things. And, and salvation, when somebody encounters Christ, it's this like, it's this recognition of God saving us, yes, but it's also God restoring our lives and bringing it to this place of wholeness, this place of well-being, this place of, of peace. And so when you think of peace, uh, for a lot of us, we think of uh, just the absence of chaos, right? So, so peace, and, and what I want to uh, say to you today, and this is something I want you to just to think about this. This is the main thrust of what I want to get across to you, is that peace is not simply the absence of chaos. It is the presence of Jesus. So, so peace, you know, the picture I put up, for me, that is a peaceful place. I love going to Gene and Terry's prayer cabin and just spending a couple days there. It is peaceful. It's great. But that's not a full picture of peace. Peace is not just the absence of chaos or the absence of busyness or a change of pace. Peace is actually the presence of Jesus. So it's possible, according to the scriptures, and, and the reason that it's so it's such good news that Jesus came is that he came and he said, I'm going to be with you in every uh, area of your life and in every instance and in everything that you face. I'm with you. His presence is peace. So peace is not, it's not just the absence of chaos. It's, just, it's not just the absence of craziness or, or whatever it is for, for you, but it's the presence of Christ. And I'm going to read to you, uh, with you, because we'll put it up on the screen, Isaiah chapter 9, and they referenced it in the video. Uh, And this is a really powerful passage of Scripture. I want to tell you a couple of things about it before we read it, okay? So Isaiah was a prophet that prophesied to the people of Israel 700 years before Jesus, okay? And so Isaiah lived at a time when there was a lot of political unrest in Israel. So, so Israel was, uh, was a nation that had been divided, okay? And so there was like a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is known as Judah and Judah always had a king on its throne that was a descendant of David, okay? The northern part of Israel, which is Samaria, okay? And if you're familiar at all with the New Testament, there's lots of division with Israelites versus the Samaritans, and they didn't like each other. Well, it started way back during Isaiah's time. 
okay? So Isaiah, he ministered at a time when there was like a northern kingdom in Israel and a southern kingdom. And during Isaiah's lifetime, the northern kingdom of Israel was completely destroyed. And the southern kingdom kind of looked north at their brothers and sisters, and they were like, well, you got what's coming to you because you guys stopped obeying God. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you can read through in Kings and Chronicles, the northern kingdom, they, faster than the southern kingdom, started worshiping all these false gods. And they started doing like absolutely crazy things. There was like child sacrifice going on. There was like the, the gods that they worshiped, these false gods, required all kinds of horrible, terrible things. And they were engaged in all of that stuff. And so the southern kingdom, when, when the northerners were destroyed, the southern kingdom had this like air of like, well, we're a little better than them. I mean, God judged them, but he's not going to judge us. Okay? And, it, and Isaiah ministered during a time when this stuff was going on, and he's correcting the southern kingdom. Because you know what he's saying to them? He's like, guys, the same thing that happened up north is going to happen to us if we don't repent and start to worship God with our whole hearts. That's, that was Isaiah's message. And if you read through the book of Isaiah, it is filled with hope. And he talks about how awesome God is. A lot of commentators and, and scholars refer to Isaiah as like the fifth gospel. There's so much hope in the book of Isaiah. And there's so many prophecies of Jesus to come. But there's a lot of warnings in there where Isaiah is saying to them, he's like, listen, you have to turn away from your sin. We can't just go worshiping false gods. We can't just go and do things our own way. Like we've got to turn our hearts towards God. So his ministry was a ministry of warning. And he was... He, he also saw things that happened that grieved his heart and he was just a, a deeply grieved prophet of God because of the things that he saw. And also during his ministry, the division was so intense, like the fighting between you know, brothers and sisters, the fighting between families, the political unrest was just at an all-time high. You know, and so, and I like pointing this stuff out because sometimes I know what happens. We read the Bible, open up the Bible on a Sunday, and we're reading, and, and sometimes we get this feeling like our lives are really different from, from the lives of the people that we read about in the Scriptures. But our lives are not really that different. You know, we think about some of the things that we see happening in our world, some of the political unrest and some of the division that goes on. Those kinds of things were happening at the same, uh, in the same way 3,000 years ago. Isaiah wrote 700 years before the time of Christ. And you know what his message was? His message, 700 years before Jesus, was, guys, guess what? There's a Savior coming who's going to save the whole world. He's going to make everything right. And you know what's interesting is that every single person who heard Isaiah in person, they died before they got to see this prophecy fulfilled. Because this happened 700 years before Jesus. And so the people of Israel, for hundreds of years, they held on to Isaiah's words, and they're like, when things got really bad, and, and the southern kingdom, by the way, also got destroyed. After Isaiah's lifetime, Isaiah's area, the southern kingdom, Judah, was also destroyed. Bad things happened. Enemy nations came in and took over. And so when things got really bad, people would look back to Isaiah's words, and they'd say, man, we've missed it. Like, we've fallen away from God. But, but God promised to restore everything. He promised to make everything right. So they would hold on to these words because they knew that what Isaiah said, he didn't just say from his own opinions, it wasn't his own thinking, like God led him to say these words and they held on to it and the hope was Jesus, this Messiah, this Savior that was to come. And the hope was also that his coming would bring peace because they were all very familiar with unrest, 
with division, with fighting, with craziness, with chaos, with death, with all those things. And so their hope was Jesus is going to bring peace. And so Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 to 7. Let me pray before we, we read it. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that we would actually hear your voice. Your word is as relevant today as it was 3,000 years ago. It's also as needed today as it was 3,000 years ago. That There's a lot of us uh, that struggle with the realities of life that we face on a daily basis, the challenges, the struggles, and even the, the things that are going on in this world that, that are bigger than us that we don't understand that make us feel a lack of peace at times. Lord, we actually need comfort from you. We need to, to know that peace is in Jesus and that peace is with us now. And so help us to hear you today as we look into your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So having said that, knowing a little bit of the history of what was going on and, and the kind of things that were happening in Isaiah's day, uh, just have that in your mind as you listen to this prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. What a comfort. If you live in a time of darkness and despair, you have a prophet of God saying, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned, and they will be fuel for the fire. This was an incredibly hopeful prophecy because the people at this time were very familiar with war and with bloodshed. And what Isaiah was saying to them is he's saying, all of the, like even the, the clothes you use to go into battle, they're going to be useless. The time, that, the time that's coming where this peace will be established, it will make all of those things just useless because there will be a time of peace. There will be no war. Verse 6, and verse 6 and 7, uh, I want to point out something about verses 6 and 7 that give us hope for, for today. Verse 6 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Verse 6, I'm going to put that up on the screen again. Uh, verse 6 says, A child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 6, okay, is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Verse 6 was a, a prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born, given to the people of Israel to say, listen, you can have hope. You can have, you can have this anticipation of good things to come because God is going to send this Savior. 
and he's going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Okay? It was a prophecy of Jesus coming, which is what we celebrate every year at Christmas. You know, it's a pretty fascinating thing. Uh, even if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand or what, what you believe, but like everybody that you know in some way, maybe, and there's probably some that don't celebrate Christmas, but, but we celebrate Christmas every year because the birth of Jesus really happened. This isn't a fairy tale. It's not something that's made up. We celebrate it because this actually took place in history. It's got a real date. It was a real event that took place. And for 2,000 years, we've been celebrating it because, because this prophecy actually came true. And Jesus is this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's who Jesus is. And the church, big C, not just Transformation Church, is established on the reality of who Jesus is. That he is the, he is the prince of peace. He's almighty God. He is eternal. And so we get to experience some of that peace as we gather together in the name of Jesus. We get to experience that. That's why almost every week uh, I like just pointing out that I love gathering together to worship with you. When we, when we sing these songs and we read the scriptures and we put our hands up and we worship God, there's this sense of peace where I'm like, it's just like, it's like a, an oasis amid the chaos. That when you gather together with other people that love Jesus, there's this incredible sense of peace because we are serving him as Lord, not ourselves, not our own ideas, not even our government. We're serving Jesus, and there's this incredible sense of peace. And so right now, we get to experience that. But there's, an, there's a not yetness to this. In verse 7, I'll read this again. This has not actually happened yet. This is a prophecy that's talking about Jesus' second coming. So in this prophecy that Isaiah gives, he prophesies the coming of Jesus, the Savior, and, and the church is established, and 2,000 years of history are incredible. But this last uh, verse we're going to read is, is a prophecy of what is yet to come. Verse 7 says, His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So, Side by side, verse 6 is a prophecy of Jesus' first coming. And then verse 7 is a prophecy of his second coming. And you know that our church, like, that's one of the core values of any church that believes the scriptures, that believes Jesus, is that we have this anticipation for the return of Christ. And so when we read verse 7, it's pretty, uh, it, you, you realize pretty quickly that um, God's reign is not, uh, established over the governments in the way that it will be at his second coming. Right? When we look around at the things that go on in the world, there are things that go on that grieve the heart of God. There are wars that happen that grieve the heart of God. There are divisions that happen that grieve the heart of God. There are things that happen. And Jesus promised when he came that, that he would return, that he would actually come back. And so when he sent his disciples out, he's, you know, he spent three years doing ministry and he died on the cross, he rose again. And, and, and after, right before he ascended into heaven, he sent his followers out. He said, now go and make disciples. Tell them about me. And don't just tell them about me. Don't just get them to pray a prayer to invite them into my heart. But like, teach them how to follow me. Teach them what it means to actually be disciples of Jesus. He was, he was telling them, like, go plant churches, create communities of people that, are, that, that totally live their lives in devotion to me. That was his, his command. And he said, and then he said, and I'm going to come back. And when he comes back, the scriptures tell us he's going to come back 
to, to judge all people. That there's a day where every single person will stand before him as judge. And our job now is to, is to live into his kingdom, to live into the reality of what it means to be, to be his follower, but also with this anticipation of what is to come. Verse 7 is what is to come. And so peace, okay, so getting back to peace, peace is not simply the absence of chaos. It is the presence of Jesus. And so maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, well, I experience peace and I'm not even a believer in Jesus. Or, or maybe, and, and this could be a reality too, maybe you look at people that are not Christians or not followers of Jesus and you're like, man, they, they have way more peace in their life than I do. Ever, anybody ever felt that way before? <laughs> like, where you look at somebody and they're like, they're getting to travel all over the world, they're getting to do whatever they want, and their lives seem like it's all together, and they don't even love God, right? Like, that's not very fair, okay? Maybe you don't want to admit that in church, I don't know. But I, I, think, <laughs> I think sometimes that's a real feeling that we look around, and we read the Bible, and we're like, yeah, but I mean, what difference really does it make? I mean, I, I know all kinds of people that don't believe, and their lives seem so awesome and great, and even better than mine a lot of times. Right? That's, a, that's a, a real struggle that some of us uh, face. Jesus, um, in Matthew chapter 5, listen to what Jesus says. He says, you've, read, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Do you know that, like, the kindness and goodness of God is, is something that he is very liberal with? And I think humans struggle with that more. We, when we see people that we don't think deserve good things, we wish bad things would happen to them. Again, probably something you don't want to admit in church, okay? You don't have to admit it, it's fine. But we've probably all felt that in our lives where we see somebody and, and we wish they would get paid back for the wrongs that they had done. So I was telling you a little bit about the Israelite history before, right? So the southern kingdom of Israel, when the northerners were attacked, there were people in the southern kingdom that were like, well, they got what's coming to them. Good thing, because they're like all messed up and, and, and yeah, they got what was coming to them. That's kind of on them. And I think all of us, if we're honest, have felt that way when we see somebody who gets what's coming to them. We're like, oh, they, they kind of deserve that. Jesus it's interesting here because he talks about like God, he's like, he sends rain on good people and bad people. He causes the sun to rise on good people and bad people. Like we live at a time where the grace of God is available to everybody, whether you're good or bad, whether you love Jesus or not. Like all good things, and, and you, gotta, you gotta know this, like the, God has created the world. He said, that, right at the very beginning, he, he created the world and he said that it was good. And every good thing, it's like a fragrance of who God really is. So when you experience peace, for me, when I was at Gene and Terry's prayer cabin, like that experience of peace, it just makes me go like, oh, thank you, God, for that. When you have a good meal, like when you eat something that's really tasty, and some of you, that's coming up, okay? Christmas is coming, you're gonna eat some good meals, right? Like that, even just that sense of enjoyment it actually points us to the goodness of God himself. When you get up in the morning after a cold night 
and the sun is rising and you feel the heat of the sun on your arms and you feel it on your face and you look and it's just like the sun has brightened up the snow and everything looks gorgeous. Like, like what that should do for us is go like, man, God is so good. He's amazing. Whether you're a Christian or not. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, God's goodness is on display for the whole world. It is available for everybody. And there's a, we live at a time where we have an opportunity to turn to God. Some of the old prophets would say, turn to the Lord now while you still can. Like we live at a time where all good things actually work to point us to the goodness and the grandeur and the amazingness of God himself. And what Jesus is saying here is he's like, yes, you will. So, so for people that say, well, I experienced these good things uh, and I'm not even a, a Christian or a Jesus follower. Well, God has given us those good things to point us to the reality of who he is. You know, it'd be silly, you know, and I, I love art, and I wish I was better at it. I wish I could draw. Um, but, I, like, it would be silly for me to sit in front of a painting that was absolutely amazing with the artist beside me and just to go on and on about the painting and not even acknowledge the artist that was beside me. Wouldn't that be just weird? Like, if I knew that it was, if the artist who had done it was sitting beside me and I wasn't going to, and I was just going to go on and on and on about this beautiful painting and not acknowledge the artist, that would be kind of a weird thing, Right? The fact that a painting is beautiful, it points to, like, somebody did that. Or a meal. You know, if you sit and enjoy a meal, and if you're a mother or a cook, a dad even that cooks a lot, uh, and you've probably experienced this with your kids where, like, you don't often get thanked for a meal, right? Does that ever happen to anybody? <laughs> like, okay, and, and, like, we try to make a big deal. Like, if Vicky cooks something in our home, like, I, I, I want to say thank you, and I want my kids to say it, because she should get acknowledgement for that awesome meal. And it's the same thing with God's creation where, like, God's creation is good and it's amazing and it's beautiful. And what it should do is point us to the reality of who he is. Right? And so uh, when we experience peace, when we experience something good, it should point us to God. And there's a lot of people alive that don't give God acknowledgement. And what Jesus is saying is, like, but God gives good things whether or not people even acknowledge but there is a day that's coming where we will stand before him. This, this passage, I don't know if you picked it up, but in verse, both verse 6 and 7, it talks about the government. This is, we, we meet on uh, Tuesday mornings for prayer, and we always pray through the passage that we're going to be preaching on Sunday. Um, and Randy was talking this week about, one of his insights was about the mention of the government in here which is something that really stuck out to me when I was reading this passage. But it talks about the government resting on his shoulders, on Jesus' shoulders. And then in verse 7, it talks about the government and its peace will never end. You realize, like, our sense of peace has a lot to do with our government. You realize that? Like, with whether or not our government puts good things in place or not. But you think about some of the events that we're seeing unfold in our world right now. On Tuesday morning, we talked a little bit about some of the things that are going on in Haiti, Ukraine. You know, some of the things going on in the Middle East, in Iran, right? And if you, if you think, that's just current, but if you think about even history, uh, people that live in places where there's a lot of turmoil, they don't experience a lot of peace. And a lot of it has to do with the government that is over them. There has never in the history of the world been a government that is like Jesus. 
Agreed? Would, would we say that Canada's government is just like Jesus? <laughs> is that something? Am I pushing back too much? Am I serious? You're like, no, no, our government is like, but, but, the, but here's, the, here's the reality. Like, even when an election comes up and, and we get a chance to vote again, if the government that you hope for gets voted in, that government is not going to be just like Jesus. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. <laughs> I, one of the things I fall, I love satire sites because it, it just makes my day sometimes to deal with the realities of life. Um, but there's a, a satire fight, a site that I follow called Babylon B. And a few years ago, they put out a post. And they basically, they went back and, and like from however many years ago in the States, and they talked about like the Democrats and the Republicans. And, and they were just talking about how awful it was under this like democratic leadership. And there was all this hope and anticipation, things were going to get better. And then the new leadership, the Republicans came in. And then within a few years, everything was so bad and it was so horrible. And everybody had all this hope and all this anticipation. And then the Democrats got back in. And they went and they went through history for like 10 years or 10 elections, just showing like the back and forth. And every time it was the same, there was this hope, things are going to get better. But then the new government would come in and there was more of the same. But isn't that kind of the reality of what life is like? And, and what, this is why this is so hopeful, is what Isaiah is saying is that like this Jesus, this Savior that's going to come, the government will rest on his shoulders. When Jesus returns at his second coming, like there's a day coming where he will be over everything. Every decision that's made will come through him. He came the first time to offer salvation. He came the first time to establish his church. These churches that we're a part of, they're like little hubs, little communities of people that say, Jesus is our Lord. We get to experience a little small taste of what it's going to be like someday. But what the scriptures tell us that there's a day coming where his return will happen and the government will rest on his shoulders. That hasn't fully happened yet. But that's what we look forward to. That is what we anticipate. So my, my encouragement to you as a, as a pastor, like, you, like, you can get involved in politics and all those things, but whatever you do, don't set your hope on a political ruler coming in and bringing all of the change that you hope for and desire. It's not going to happen. It won't. And we can get all worked up and heated up about what needs to happen, the changes that need to be made, and I think we should pray about it. I think we should debate and fight. But at the end of our day, our true hope is, is what the scriptures are talking about. Isaiah wasn't saying, oh, the new leader is going to come in and change everything. He's saying, no, Jesus is coming. So peace isn't just the absence of chaos, it's not the absence of war, it is the presence of Jesus. And there is no peace outside of the presence of Jesus. So if your hope is in peace coming some other way, your hopes will be dashed. If your hope is in, you know, this next relationship is going to be the one that fixes your life, it's going to make your, your, your second or third marriage is better than the other one or whatever it is. If your hope is in that or, or like if your hope is in this new job is going to give more finances, is going to be better or this new house or this whatever, like you will be let down. What Isaiah was trying to say was like all of that stuff like is just temporary. It fades. But Jesus, like the Savior that's coming, he's who you can set your hopes on. That is the source of peace. The, I just want to give a couple thoughts and then um, close in prayer. One of the things that breaks peace, and I just want to challenge us this morning with this, but is when we enter into anything that grieves the heart of God, we'll lose our peace. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to a church plant, kind of like Transformation Church. He's trying to encourage them. He says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. 
guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Do you catch the language there? He's still talking about this second coming. Jesus, when Paul's writing this, Jesus has already come. They've already, they're already celebrating the birth of Christ Jesus. And by this point, Jesus has died, rose again, gone to be with God. And then now Paul's writing to a church kind of like us. And he's saying, you will be saved on the day of redemption. The return of Christ will happen. But it didn't happen in his lifetime. It's kind of like, you know, in Isaiah's day, it was 700 years before that prophecy was fulfilled. Well, Paul's writing this a couple thousand years ago. And we're still yet to see this, this return. And then he says, though, but catch what he says here. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, forgave you. And what he's, what he's speaking into here is that, like, even after the, uh, Jesus went to be with the Father in heaven, these churches were established, and people, they, they surrendered their lives to Christ, but then they gave they gave way to their old habits, their old ways of thinking. And Paul, their pastor, he's like, he's like, guys, like, make a change in your life. Like, don't give in to bitterness and envy and anger and rage. Like, that's going to destroy your peace. It's going to destroy your unity. It's going to take away this peace. He's saying, get rid of those things. Surrender them to Jesus. And I just wanted to address this. this we haven't talked much about sin during this Advent time. Advent is usually a time of just hope and joy and peace and love and celebration. But I just want to really bring a challenge to us this morning. If there's anything in your life that you know is sinful in any way, that will actually destroy peace. It does. And the scriptures tell us clearly, like, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit by allowing these things in your lives. And so my question to us this morning is that, is there a lack of peace in your life that you know you've played some role in? Sometimes there's a lack of peace in our lives that we don't play any role in at all. Our, you know, I was talking about government. I was talking about authorities over us. Sometimes there's things that happen that are beyond our control. Sometimes we are victims to sin. We're, we're victims. We had nothing to do with it. Things happen to us and it just disrupts our peace. I'm not talking about that. There's also times when we are perpetrators, where we, we harbor bitterness or anger or rage or cynicism or jealousy or whatever it is, right? And it takes away from our peace. And is there anything in your life this morning that um, the Lord is convicting you, bringing this to mind, that you just need to say, Lord Jesus, just forgive me of this. I release it to you. I give it to you. Is there anything that is contributing to a lack of peace that was something that maybe you engaged in and God is, is speaking to you about. The, uh, uh, I want to close with this, this verse. I'm going to invite the team up in a second. Psalm 37, verse 37 says, A wonderful future awaits those who love peace. A wonderful future awaits those who love peace. I don't know about you, but that, I stuck that verse to the bulletin board in my office because it's something I want to see every single day. Because I see some of the chaos and the turmoil and the craziness and that gives me hope for what is to come. But I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, if there's something in your life that you know you're involved in or doing that is a contributing factor to a lack of peace, bring it to Jesus. Jesus came to restore peace. 
Jesus came to give us peace. And in order for us to receive it, we have to accept him, but we also have to acknowledge where we've contributed to that lack of peace. And if God's bringing something up, I just want to encourage you to, to have that time with him. I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. And as always, when we sing these last couple songs, if the Lord is speaking anything into your heart, um, just take this time during these last couple songs just to spend some time in prayer. And if it, if it means making some things right with God, then make some things right with God. And if it means just being encouraged and like, Lord, I'm, I'm filled with hope and anticipation of what is to come because of what you've told us in your word, just worship him, just praise him, just honor him and adore him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Um, I thank you for peace. Jesus, I thank you that you have come to give us peace, that we can actually experience and walk in that peace now, but that we also look forward to a future where your return will mean eternal peace forever. And God, I just pray that if there's any of us here this morning that are convicted of anything in our lives that needs to, to change or that we need to confess to you, that you give us the boldness to do that. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you um, would just continue speaking to us. Help us to hear your voice and to follow your lead in whatever it is you say. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.